This morning's reading is 1 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 13. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to too much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. And let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Leslie. Would you pray with me? Lord, bless the word today. Open our hearts and minds to what you would have us each here individually and collectively as a church. Build up leaders at Bethany Church, Lord, so that we can move forward on the mission and long to hear that day when all the nations will sing out as we sung today that Christ is Lord and he is reigning on his throne. So bless our time, Spirit, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I so wish when I was in uh, high school, a young uh, teenager, that I had paid more attention in my government class. <laughs> high school government class, or maybe it was called civics when you took it. Um, why do most school, schools in the nation, most of them now, most states have some kind of requirement where they will teach a class like this, and some even require classes like this in college. I think it's because historically, it was to pass down the story of our nation and how it's been set up and how it's to be governed and, and, and run. And these, from these classes, uh, young adults and young teenagers uh, were formed, and they were looked to be formed to young citizens so they knew uh, what to expect and to know what is expected of them as they lived and live in our nation. By answering questions like these, um, how are laws made? What happens when you break laws? What does it mean to be a contributing citizen? And, and who are our leaders? And what are their jobs? What do they do? All of these were really valuable lessons, even if today only around 26% of Americans can name the three branches of their government. Maybe those classes weren't working so well. 26%. And only around 24% of Americans today say they trust the U.S. government. We've kind of watched, haven't we, over these last years, the kind of erosion of, of, of civic-mindedness and, and trust and decay uh, of trust in those in governing positions and authority, who many times you know, we know have proven themselves not worthy of our trust, too. Well, as we come to the pastoral letters, which we've been in, we're in 1 Timothy, that's First and Second Timothy and Titus, we come to these pastoral letters, they're kind of, in some ways, like a civics course for the church. They talk about who we are to be. Uh, in 1 Timothy 3, 14 through 15, it's been kind of our theme verse, I hope to come to you, Paul writes to Timothy, soon, but I'm writing these things, here's the purpose of this letter, so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar 
and buttress of the truth. So we're answering questions in 1 Timothy such as, how are we structured? Who is to lead? And how do we function as a church? And what's our purpose? And, what is our, and what's most important for us? So we're kind of doing that. Civics for the church. We need to know this. And who leads us and, and why? So here is where we are headed this morning. We're going to look and see that Jesus Christ himself not only modeled what biblical leadership looks like, but that he also designed the way the church would be led by servant leaders and leading servants. Servant leaders and leading servants. So today we're going to look at these two official offices in the church, the servant leaders and the leading servants, and why they matter. And actually how the requirements really apply to all of us, not just elders and deacons. And then finally, how only Jesus makes all of this possible anyway. So can you name those? Can you name the two offices in the church? I hope it's more than 24% of us that can do that. Uh, But before we get to the official, official biblical names, I love the descriptions that we've already said that I found in one commentary, one called the servant leader and the other called the leading servant. So let's begin there by looking at the two offices. Hopefully you've got your outline. Go ahead and grab it, get it out, fill it in. It helps us learn when we write and read and listen in all those different ways. And hopefully you've got your Bible open to 1 Timothy, whether it's a, a book copy or smartphone or tablet. It doesn't matter to us. We just want you to have your word when you come to uh, Bethany Church. So let's begin with these two offices. The first is the office of the elder, the office of the elder. And you saw some of our men up on stage today. And how we define that, better yet, how the Bible defines this role is really important in the church. This really matters. And there's a lot of ideas, and here's why it matters. There's a lot of ideas in the world about leadership. You can find a thousand books written on leadership if you go to your local bookstore or look online. And lots of different ideas about leadership get comported, pushed onto, placed onto the idea of an elder. So are elders like a management team running a company or a project? Are they like administrators of a large school or club? Are they like generals running a battalion? Well, what are they? Well, let's do this. Let's take a look at a definition of an elder, and then we're going to unpack some of the fill-in words from this definition. Here's what we're going to call, uh, how we're going to define elders. Elders are servant leaders called by God affirmed by the church, and tasked with leading in word and Christ-like character. So as we begin to unpack this role, let's remember a couple foundational things. First of all, these, these, these roles are designed by God. They are set up by God through the Scripture, through the Uh, the coming into existence of the church. And for all of history now, the church has had some form of formal pastoral leadership for all history. And today, as we talk about uh, the role of elder, we also need to understand, second, that there's a few different words in Scripture that the writers use that all refer basically to the same office. The, The Scripture speaks of these three terms, pastor, elder, an overseer, or some say like a bishop. And they're all really talking about the same role. Pastor, elder, overseer. They're all really talking about the same role. In fact, the words are essentially used interchangeably in Titus, in Acts, in First Peter. Pastor, elder, overseer, which should right away give you some insight into what this term elder means and what they're to do, and why they matter, and the responsibilities of an elder. I love the first Peter description because it basically uses all three words or forms of the words as he's talking to elders. He says, so I exhort the elders, there's the first one, among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that's going to be revealed, shepherd, that's pastor, shepherd the flock of God that's among you, exercising oversight, there's the third one, Uh, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, 
not for shameful gain, but eagerly. So there's those terms that pastor, elder, and overseer all used for the same purpose, people, role in the church, and they are responsible to serve the people by leading or or serve the people through leading. So let's start with servant leader. As even uh, Neil, our elder chair, prayed this morning for our elder team that we would be servant leaders. They are shepherds, the Bible says. And some of you actually raise sheep and would be probably better equipped to preach this message today than me. Um, But they are to live with and walk amongst and know the sheep, overseeing them willingly for the care and nurture of their lives and their souls. That's what a pastor elder is to do. This is something our elder board has been studying and growing in and encouraging one another in these past few years. We are primarily not a board of managers, the men you saw up here, or a board of administrators. Although those things come into play, of course, when you lead any group or organization, we are primarily a team of, or to be of serving shepherds, of pastors, really, caring for the flock, for the sheep, for you and the person next to you in the row in front and behind you. That's why Paul in 1 Timothy in verse 1 in our passage says, it's a noble task that involves, because it involves the care of and the nurture of God's people. And because it is okay, because of that, it's okay to desire in this, this role as well. Not for the sake of just uh, wanting a place of position, power, and authority, but if it means serving the sheep, it is a great thing to be aspired to, Paul writes in this letter to Timothy. And as we'll see in every moment, actually every person in the church should be aspiring to, at the very least, the character qualifications of this office. But how do they then, if that's their role, nurture and care, how do they do it? How do they nurture and care for the flock? the people of God. Well, our second word in the fill-in there was the word, leading in word. It's uniquely by this way, by feeding the, the people of God, the sheep of God, feeding them the word of God, the scriptures. How often does the word described in the Bible as like food, the bread, uh, the bread of life, uh, food for our soul, sweeter than honey, all those things that the Bible describes itself as something to be fed upon, the Scriptures. In fact, the elders are to proclaim the whole counsel, Scripture says, the whole plan of God to His people. That's why, for the most part, we teach through books of the Bible here at Bethany Church. That's why we talk about hard passages like we did a couple weeks ago, the role in men and women in church. The calling of an elder is to teach the whole counsel. And you can't pick the whole council if you just cherry pick little sections and portions. You have to go through it. It forces you to get to the hard stuff. So, if that's what we're called to do primarily, first and foremost, do you come expectantly on a Sunday morning to be fed, to be nurtured, to to nurture each other? As if you were here And if what you were going to hear was more important than the bread that you eat to stay alive, than the meal you'll have after church today, as if your life depended upon this book and being fed by it. Do you come expectantly knowing that the elders at Bethany Church, they're going to do that. If I know one thing, they're going to do that. Do you listen expectantly? Do you know there's a way we can listen actively and passively? Passive, we're, we're, really, we're trained really well in passive listening. Do you know why? Pick up your remote and flip through your TV. That is passive listening all the way. You just sort of, it just kind of, you know. Active listening, though, is you come to this place expectant, coming here to hear the Word of God, knowing that maybe, maybe I should take some notes, and maybe I really want to think about what he's saying and engage with it right there in real time with our minds. This means we've got to be engaged on a Sunday morning. 
active listening and applying the word to your soul and to each other every morning. This, this, is, this is the centerpiece. This is really what has the power to build the church of God. Acts 20 says this. And our elders' leadership is contingent. Our elders in this church is upon the truth of this word. You don't follow your elders. You don't follow your pastor because they've just been given a position or title, do you? Like maybe you do just your boss at work. It's not like that. Or because that they have some kind of education. Or because they're good managers or, or have natural leadership ability. We follow elders because they follow and obey the word of God and teach it. That's why. That's what it's for. It's one of the responsibilities we see given to the elder. In verse 2 there, look down. Able to teach. Hospitable, able to teach. But an elder also must practice what he preaches. Would you agree? My primary audience when I'm preparing a sermon for a Sunday morning is first me. I cannot tell you how many times I've been preparing a sermon and I, I, we're going to address some issue, some sin, something, and guess where I see it primarily that week? Here. I can't tell you how many times the Lord does that. I'm going through the week, I'm going... I'm doing the very thing I already have written down in my sermon that I'm going to be asking you to do or not do. I'm doing it or, to do, or to asking you to do, and I'm not doing it. I'm telling you, it almost happens every week. It's really weird. But I hope that's because I'm preaching first to myself um, because I have to listen to my own voice too, right? Which is kind of annoying some weeks, but I got to do it. <laughs> but we must practice what we preach, right? Elders must do that. Now, of course, every pastor... Just wait, the longer you get to know me, and most of you already probably know, our elders and pastors are sinners just like everyone else. Just like everyone else. But even in that, they are called to model the character of Jesus Christ. Model the character as they lead. You see it there in the definition, in word and Christ-like character. Now, we can't unpack all of these words in this list of character qualities that Paul mentions today. I've got resources out there for you for that, and we're going to talk about those at the end today. But this chart that I've put together, uh, you'll see coming up, is from this, uh, a commentary, the Christ-Centered Exposition Commentary. And it helps us get an idea of the sort of person an elder is to be, or actually I would even put in here a deacon or a deaconess, because a lot of the character qualities overlap. And they, the, the commentary broke it down into four different categories, the personal life of an elder, the social business life, the family life, and the, the personal life. And just some questions kind of help us really unpack what all those words in those verses mean. Is he self-controlled? Is he wise? Is he peaceable? Is he gentle? Is he a sacrificial giver? Is he humble? Is he patient? Is he honest? Is he disciplined? Family life, is he an elder in his home? If he's single, is he self-controlled? If he's married, is he committed to his wife? If he has children, do they honor him? Well, how about his social and business life? Is he kind? Is he hospitable? Is he a friend of strangers? Does he show favoritism? Does he have a blameless reputation? That doesn't mean sinless now, but does the overall uh, above reproach is the word? Um, is, there, is there not anything that could be brought against his character that would dishonor the name of Christ? How about spiritual life? Is he making disciples? Does he love the word? Is he a man of prayer? Is he holy? Is he gracious? You may look at that list and go, wow, I'm really glad I'm not pursuing the elder role at Bethany Church. <laughs> and all those questions. Well, well, first of all, no one keeps these perfectly. This is the ideal description of one who would lead the church. But at the same time, look at this list again. There's nothing on this list that's not also required of every Christian, everyone in the family of God. Would we call elders to be peaceable and then say, you know what, everybody else, have at it. Go to war. No, 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 we wouldn't. Or um, kind and hospitable in social and business life. Elders should be kind and hospitable, but the rest of you, kick them to the curb, right? No, we wouldn't do that. It's for everyone. And should not every man in the church 
even if they're never even considering this office or this role, and don't aspire to have the role, shouldn't they aspire to the character qualities of an elder, even if not the office? Yeah. We want men at Bethany Church who are furiously, by grace, stepping up and into this calling to honor God and shine a light on Christ through their love of the Word and their Christ-like character. That's the men Bethany needs. That's the men we should aspire to be, whether we ever would step into this office or not. That's our call. We want men whose lives are shaped by the gospel. We want men who refuse to be passive and sit on the sidelines of their church, men who will lead with sacrificial love. Sacrificial love, servant leaders. Because if, if the men of a church, if the leadership of a church is kind of flabby, the church will be too. And if the church is flabby, then guess what? Christ and his gospel doesn't look very good. Doesn't look too great. It's the big picture connection there between the spiritual health of a church, of the men of a church, and the overall health of a church that Paul is referring to when he lists all these character qualities. We have to see the connection between the leadership health and the spiritual health of the men of a church and the overall health of a church. And the connection between the health of the leadership and the health of a church, as we take a look at our second office, too, we're going to see this, our office of deacons. So here's our definition for deacons. Sorry, it's longer for our deacons and deaconesses. Uh, They are leading servants. So elders were servant leaders. Deacons and deaconesses are leading servants of Christ-like character, too, who support the ministry of the elders by meeting internal needs so that we unify around the external mission. Internal needs, so we don't get distracted from the external, the mission. Now, there's much we don't know about the roles or the role of deacons. They're not actually mentioned much in the New Testament, and the responsibilities are not as clear for deacons and deaconesses as it is for elders. Some form of the word deacon, uh, which Uh, is used over a hundred times in the New Testament, that word always refers to some act of ministry, some act of service. Uh, It's used over a hundred times, but it's not usually defining a specific role. It's all of us are called actually to deacon, to serve one another, which is applied, as I just said, to all believers in the church, especially Ephesians 4.12. It's just called the work of ministry that we're all called to do, to deacon, So on the one hand, we're all deacons in the church, or deaconesses, all of us. But there's also, there seems to be a role in the church of those who are to lead out in service, step out in front in service, and model for the rest of the church what it looks like to lead. And they too must have a Christ-like character that Paul records here in 1 Timothy 8. Um, They're to have that. Verse 8, likewise, it says, which connects the deacons, in verse 8, closely to the list of qualifications for the elders. Verse 8, deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. So Paul, with that word likewise, is saying, so just like the elders above and all those character qualities, likewise, meaning deacons really are called to the same character traits even as elders, likewise... Here's the qualifications. They must be men of character. And verse 11, likewise, the women too. Churches vary on what they think verse 11 means and how it is to be uh, translated into English. Verse 11 says, their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Churches vary on that. What does that mean? I actually believe it's not talking about deacons' wives. I don't think the ESV is the best translation there, but I think it's actually talking about women deaconesses. Here's why. That word translated there for wife can actually also just mean women. So it could read right there um, in verse 11, women likewise must be. And in the original, see the word there, their wives? That's not even there. That's just put in by translators, their wives. So potentially that verse could just be saying, women, 
also likewise. Um, Here's another reason. Paul actually uses the word likewise there, like he has for elders, like he did when he transitioned to deacons. Likewise, women. Sounds like he's designating a new section there, just like he did for elders and deacons. And what what else is strange is why would Paul talk about deacons' wives, but not elders' wives? So I actually think what is going on there, there's room for, of course, some difference of opinion there, but I think actually there is a permission there for there to be women deaconesses, which we have at Bethany Church, and we've always practiced, I think, in our church history. Not every church sees it that way. We hold the role of elder in our church to be men, um, but I think that Paul is speaking here to women who are deaconesses in our church, Um, so affirming all of you deaconesses here. So what do they do? What are they supposed to do? Like I said, it's not the clearest role laid out in Scripture, and I think that's probably so it can look different in different contexts. Acts 6 gives us the clearest picture, even though there's a debate over whether Acts 6 is actually talking about the official role, but let's look at it for a moment. A crisis has arisen in the early local church. Something has happened, a situation, a crisis has come up, and Acts 6, 1 through 5 says this. Now in these days, I think we got it there. Yeah, the disciples were increasing in number, A complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows, so Greeks and Jews, their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. That's food. And the twelve summoned, the apostles summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve, to deacon. There's the word, to deacon, to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out among you seven men of good repute, full of spirit and of wisdom, who will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen and a bunch of other men there for this role. So deacons and deaconesses, as we look at this passage, are called to respond to specific circumstances in the church. This is a specific event that brought about the creation or the implementation of this role. You could call them internal needs, as our definition does. They are called to support the ministry of the elders by meeting internal needs, whether it's food, as it was here in Acts 6. Financial, as our deacons oversee the, our deacon fund, which we're so grateful you give to. It's healthy right now. Uh, or help at home, as some of our men have done, particularly to widows who they've gone and, and, and cleaned gutters and done things for them. That's, those are the kind of, kind of specific things that come up in church life. The deacons and deaconesses are called to to lead serving internally in ways that free up the elders, the other role, to be able to shepherd and teach more and put their energies there. That's why they were brought about. There's a mutually um, uh, beneficial, uh, symbiotic is the word, nature to the two roles of elder and deacon. They work together. They aid one another. They free up one another as they function, as they did in Acts 6. And they do so as as peacemakers when a situation arises. This was a conflict in Acts 6. They're pointing fingers. Wait a minute. Our Greek widows are not being taken care of as much as the Jewish widows. So what are we going to do? And fingers are pointing, and it could have been a huge controversy, as there already was controversy over Jew and Gentile. It could have split the church. The deacons came in to be peacemakers, to address the situation, to do anything they possibly could to keep from distracting from the overall mission of the church, the external mission now. They have an absolutely vital role. I love how Tony Merida says it in his commentary. He says, the church is on a mission to make the gospel. I think we got a quote for that. Do we have that one more? There we go. The church is on a mission to make the gospel known in all nations, which is exactly why the adversary delights in turning the church of Jesus Christ inward on itself at every opportunity. Satan loves seeing the church embroiled in battles over this or that issue. In such cases, deacons may be called in to absorb the shock. Certainly valid complaints and real needs arise, and when they do, deacons should rise and deaconesses to meet those needs so the mission of the church can thrive. Do you see the symbiotic relationship there? Things bubble to the surface. Uh, deacons and deaconesses kind of come in, address the need, the situation, 
And elders are, you know, part of maybe coordinating or letting people know the needs. And elders are freed up to shepherd and be with people amongst the flock and teach and study and preach the word and lead the church. So we get down to it. Deacons and deaconesses, they have an external mission mindset. A deacon or deaconess has got to be focused and be someone who's concerned and cares for the external mission of the church. Because by doing so, it it brings up the importance of the internal issues there to address so they don't overtake the church or fracture the church and the people of God so that we can continue at Bethany to, to flourish as a gospel outpost, as a place of mission, as a lighthouse for the lost. Do you see how the two work together? So they serve the internal needs of the congregation so that we image the love of Christ and keep distractions to a minimum. That's why. And derailing the mission and the church. And they do this as elders do with Christ-liked character. So those are our two offices. Elder, deacon, deaconess. I want to take a moment. Take a look at your notes there. On the bottom of the back page, you see they're listed all our elders, all our deacons currently serving, and all our deaconesses. If you're here today and you're one of those, on one of those teams, would you please stand? I just want people to see our, our elders and deacons and deacons. I know some of our elders are here. You're already up here. Don't be shy. Yeah, we got, okay, Don over there too. Doris. These are some of our people in our church who've been called to this. Don't sit down yet. Stay standing. <laughs> I want them to see you for a second. I know nobody wants this. You don't do this for the recognition, I know. But if there was any day where we were to acknowledge and see your face and for the congregation to look and see, these are some of the people on this list, it'd be today. Thank you for your service. Be seated. Let's talk about why they matter then. If those are our two offices and those are some serving and um, you know some too that just recently stepped off, it's not to overlook their years of service. We know they have served too. Uh, those are just the ones currently serving. Why they matter. Why these people matter. Why their roles matter. Let's talk about it a little more. And why it's important for all of us to understand who they are and what these two offices are. Here's why they matter. Because the church is called to follow and submit to the leaders God has appointed for the purpose of building up the church. As there was a connection between the role of elders and the role of deacons, so there's a connection between the elders of a church and all the people. Hebrews 13:17 gives us this perfect picture of mutual accountability, we're going to call it. Mutual accountability, elders to the people and the people to elders. Here's what the writer of Hebrews puts in that verse. Obey your leaders and submit to them. Why? For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Let's take a minute and look at this from both angles. On the one hand, think about the responsibility that your elders have. They are to keep watch over your souls. And someday the men you saw up here on the stage will have to stand before the Lord. I want you to think about that. And someday I and the other elders who are up here with me and all who have ever served in our church or who will, will have to stand before the Lord and give an account of how they cared. And on the other hand you will have to give an account of how you followed. We're looking at it from two of both sides today. Think about that. The mission of the church, to follow for the mission of the church and the glory of God that's at stake in our relationships. And so if you're called to follow these leaders, and if we're called to give an account, do you think character matters? You better believe it. I would take a leader of high character a thousand times over a person who's accomplished or a, or a go-getter or just somebody who can get things done. A thousand times I would take them over that. Character matters, congregation. We've got to be reminded of that. 
When we select our elders, when we select deacons and deaconesses, character matters when you affirm by voting in your leaders. So be part of that. Some of you, that means you have to become covenant members. I mean, think about that. The reality that you're not able to contribute to who gets to lead this church. So if you're not a covenant member, consider that. Pursue that. Don't you want to be part of that process of saying, I affirm Nick. I affirm Neil. I affirm Kathy. I affirm Don and Don. I affirm Rich, right? I want to be part of that because we want to be part of the mission. Not because of formality, not just for the sake of, hey, let's just have a lot of members. No, let's do this thing right and make sure we protect the name of Jesus as we pick our leaders. Character matters. So now in light of all this that we've been through this morning, here's a couple of practical suggestions now as we think through this mutual accountability. That I will stand, that your elders will stand before the Lord to give account, and that you will stand as how you follow it. And really, I mean, if you think about it, elders are following too. We are accountable to each other as other elders. And so it's not like we're the only ones that have to follow. It's all of us, actually. And we're all following the master shepherd anyways, aren't we? We're all called to follow. So let's, but let's look at a couple practical things. I want this to be practical as we, as we close today. How can we continue to do better at this at Bethany? Don't be surprised when your elders pursue you. What do I mean by that? Imagine being responsible. Now, the accountability, remember that's that, that angle. Imagine being responsible for the safety and health and spiritual life of your children and only getting to see them around tw- about twice a month for an hour and a half. <laughs> Think about that. Is it putting it in perspective for you? You're responsible for these kids God's given you, and yet you see them maybe twice a month for about an hour and a half, which is about the average of maybe of what our attendance is. Now, if the church is just about filling your spiritual tank, then maybe if it's just that, you know, you come and get fed and you're, you're gone and you got your spiritual uh, tune-up and fill-up, if it's just about that, okay, then maybe, you know, the weeks you're feeling good, I don't really need to get a tune-up this week. And the weeks you're feeling bad, I better get to church. You ever had one of those weeks? I gotta get to church. If it's just about that, but as we've already seen today, it's clearly about so much more, isn't it? than just your personal, individual, spiritual tune-up? Look at it from the perspective of your elders and the responsibility they have for your spiritual care. Think about that. How are we supposed to go about that if we rarely get to interact with you? Now, that means as elders, we're responsible. We, it's not just Sunday morning thing. It's life groups. It's seminars. It's phone calls, it's coffee, it's meals, it's running into you at Cutsforth. I, I, how many, I had, so, I had probably a lot of you in here have had conversations with somewhere else other than church. Just seeing you in Canby, which is like why I like we have a small town. It, it's everywhere. But don't be surprised if we pursue you. We've, we're, we're accountable to God for this. Or if we call you and, and say, hey, we miss you. Where have you been? Where have you been? We've missed you at church or... We've missed you at a life group. I want you to know something. Probably when most people go home from church on a Sunday, it's natural, it's normal. This is not a chastisement. You go back to your life, right? You're thinking about Monday, what you got to do on Monday, what you have to get done on Sunday before work, or you know, just what the week holds in your calendar. And it's possible that maybe throughout your, the week you maybe think a couple times about the local church and the people there. For the shepherd, it never stops. It never stops. When our people are in crisis, we think about it. When our people disappear from church, we think about it. When there's strife in the congregation, we think about it. When there's sin in someone's life, we think about it. And apart from the grace of God, and resting in Jesus as the ultimate shepherd, we would think about it all the time. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11, and apart from the other things, all the things going on in my life, he said, there is the daily pressure on me. I think we got the verse coming up. You got it there, Tony? Yeah, there it is. And apart from the other things, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. There it is. 
Paul's telling them, like the Corinthians, I've got this weight, this pressure. I'm going to be held accountable to God. And I want to care and love the people. And I'm speaking for all our elders now and our leaders. Now, of course, can this cross over into sinful worry for a pastor? You better believe it. Obsessing, thinking that it all depends on me or on our elder team? Yes. But generally, every pastor pretty much always carries around with him a low-level, sometimes high-level of concern and anxiety for the members of the church. So don't be surprised then when we pursue you and you get a phone call that says, how you doing? We've missed you at Life Group. Come back to men's group. How's your family? How are your kids, right? I mean, we're tasked with the spiritual oversight of the church. It's never to guilt you. It's never to guilt you. Church attendance, every elder, and you all know, church attendance can be a check on a box, can it? We're not calling you back to check the box. We're calling you back so that you're fed and so that we can care. That's why we're responsible to care for you. So if we are and we will pursue you, here's the second one, invite your elders into your life. I know that's hard in our day of kind of individualism. Invite your elders into your life. These aren't fill-ins, but if you want to put them down for just to jot the note. So if you're slipping in and out of church, and not connected to the leadership of this church in some way, that's not, it doesn't mean it's all on you. Please hear that today. Remember, mutual accountability. And, but you're not connected to the leadership of this church, and by that I don't just mean elders, but I mean, are you in a life group? Our life group shepherds are leaders in this church, and that leader is responsible on some level for your spiritual care and growth. If you're slipping in and out unknown here, you're not living under the civics of the church, as Paul describes them. Kingdom uh, civics. You're a, maybe a wandering citizen, an MIA Christian, or a, maybe a lost sheep. So on your end then, a different perspective now, as elders will pursue, maybe be proactive and, and partner with by not having elders have to come pursue always, but move towards them to welcome your elders into your life. We want to care and love you. So a couple questions to ask. How many of you had an elder over for dinner at your house? Or asked an elder to grab coffee so maybe you can encourage him that way too. Think about that. Some practical ways you can move towards the elders as they want to move towards and be amongst the people. Active listening, active participant in the shepherding of the church, too. Here's another one. One more practical application. This is the most important one. Love your imperfect pastors and leaders. (laughs) I know we don't always get it right. I know during COVID, we have tried our best to be honorable to the Lord and get it right. There's been times we probably said it wrong, didn't say it clear, maybe didn't follow our own advice. I, we, our team readily admits that as we try to do our best. And we were building the plane in the air last year. Just a good way to put it. We were building the plane in the air almost every week trying to figure out what was expected of us as a church. I know you, we don't always get it right. I know today, and I'm willing to admit, there's probably some of you who might be upset at me right now. Or some of our elders for things we got wrong. Maybe I missed calling you for surgery. It's possible. Maybe I forgot to ask you about an ailing family member. It's possible. And there's going to be, I guarantee, a decision someday that you won't like, right? Someday. We are sinners. Doing the best we can, as Paul calls us to, with at times, I will tell you, what seems like an absolutely impossible task. That's why Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord, and that we admonish you to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. I don't put that up there to be self-serving today. It it could appear like that, but these are Paul's words to the church. That's why I put it up there. Because it's a call for all of us to mutual accountability with each other. 
and to love one another as we're doing this thing together called Life Together, living on this mission. So how can you positively love your elders? As we are called to love your imperfect pastors and leaders. Here's a couple. Here's a couple. Give charitable judgments when you're not sure why something was done or said. This, is, this actually is not just elder pastors. This is, this, is a, this is a word for the entire, this is a word for all of us. To give charitable judgments to each other when we're not sure why something was done or said. One of the greatest dividers in the church, and Paul mentioned Satan in this passage. He loves to come in and, and, and have deacons fall into pitfalls and elders too. One of the great dividers in the church for all of us is when we assign moral motives to things that aren't moral. Do you believe that? <laughs> Do you know what I mean by that? Somebody says something or somebody does something or doesn't do something and we're just, we inst- I do this. We instantly think, that was to slight me. Or that, I think they wanted me to interpret that as a, you know, kind of a kick in the knee, right? We, we, we assign moral motives to things many times that aren't. It's one of the great dividers. So here's the encouragement. You can actually love me this way and your elders this way or actually anybody in your life. If you have a concern, an issue, a hurt, graciously speak up about it rather than keep it to yourself. It's actually a way you can love your elders. I know you're thinking, ah, he's busy. I don't want to burden them. I know they got a ton going on. No, 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 no. Speak up about it. When we live life together, we have to do that. And guess what? I probably always can tell anyways (laughs) When you live with the sheep and you live life together, it doesn't take very long for the shepherds to know when a sheep is irritated, does it? I think about your children. I mean, and of course your relationship with your child is more intimate and closer than probably my relationship with you. But don't you know when one of them is irritated? You know. I probably, our elders probably know already anyways. Remember our metaphor from a couple weeks ago. Um, Don't let the faucet behind the closed door continue to overflow. Remember that? We told that story. Here's another one. Pray for your elders, which I know you do. I can't tell you how many times I've been to somebody's house. I still see that magnet. Do you remember that magnet? They gave that, I think Ray gave it to you guys from the Canby Center before we got here four years ago. A magnet of our family that said, pray for the Jennings. I still see it. Anybody have it on their fridge still? Anybody? Yes, I love that. Because you're praying for me, that means. And you're praying for our family, that means. Not because we want, it's on your toolbox. Great, Rich. Wherever you have it, <laughs> just as long as it's on the back of your toilet. It's that, that's not because I want my picture up in your house, but one of the best ways you can love your elders is pray for them. Pray for them. Pray for them. Finally, aspire to this. Look at the calling and the requirements again for our elders and deacons and deaconesses. And, and know that this, it's a blueprint. I think we got that chart coming back up. It is a blueprint for all of our lives. So aspire to this together. Remember the questions on personal, family, social, and spiritual. These are for all of us. So by the grace of God, by the power of the gospel, aspire and pursue your calling as a disciple here at Bethany Church. Let's do it together. Partner with those who will give an account for your soul as you will give an account for how you live at Bethany Church to God. Church civics, right? Church civics. And finally today, let's look to Jesus. Let's look at Jesus' leading just for a minute. I know I took us over today, but it's a passage is a lot. And as the church, as the leaders of the church go, so goes the church. So there's an, this is an important message. The description of leadership in the kingdom of God, you know what it is? It's an upside-down kingdom, isn't it? It's not like the kingdoms of the world. It's an upside-down kingdom where the world views relationships as contractual. You keep up your end of the bargain, even in marriage. I'll keep up my end of the bargain. Our relations in the church, covenantal. That's our word. Contractional for the world, covenantal for us, based on the new covenant of Jesus' model of service and his model of power, based on the gospel and his life in us. Here's, here's really the reality. None of us can live into these roles on our own. None of us can do it. Even roles of parenting and fathering and mothering and grandparenting and and elders and deacons, none of us can live into those things that this letter has called us to on our own. It's impossible, actually. 
it's absolutely impossible. Number one, because we're born spiritually dead. And number two, any good work we walk into has been created and prepared by God beforehand for us. It's supernatural. It's spirit-given. But here's the thing. With Jesus, it is possible. It's possible for Bethany Church to flourish and look this way. None of this is possible without continually submitting to the power of Jesus and the gospel. Look to Jesus. That is what we are all about here. The gospel changes everything. Who led as the, as the ultimate servant leader now. And leading servant. He did both perfectly. He is the epitome of kingdom civics. He's the best citizen of the church that ever lived. He was the best church member ever, I guess we'd say. It was Jesus. Here's what it says about him in Philippians 2. Have this mind... Bethany church members, in the church, as we live together, as we deacon, as we elder, as we follow, as we teach, as we preach, as we love, have this mind among yourselves, that's us, which is yours in Christ Jesus, in him, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a deacon. Do you see it there? He emptied himself by taking the form of a deacon. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Your elders are only under-shepherds. Your deacons and deaconesses are only under-deacons and deaconesses. You as a church member are only an under-member. He's the true leader. And when we see our leader laying down his life, when he could have demanded every bit of service, he could have demanded all the deaconing he wanted from us, right? He laid down his life. This is gospel living. And unless you first and continually, that's why we're a gospel-centered church, continually submit to his reign, his rule, his love, his gospel in your life, the rest is absolutely impossible. It, It makes no sense, actually, even. It's foolish to the world, isn't it? This is Kingdom Civics 101, isn't it? Two offices, why they matter, and Jesus' leadership and power to live it out. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we need you to live the life you've called us to. By the power of your spirit, help us do it. Forgive me for going long. Amen.